Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guests today are Alex and Lily Corona and Veronica Dahlberg. Can you please introduce yourselves? Uh, let's start with the siblings, Lily and Alex. Hello, I'm Alex Corona. I'm a freelance graphic designer, uh, Mexicano, born to Mexican immigrants, uh, been in the neighborhood for a large part of my life and around the Club Azteca as well. Hi, my name is Lily Corona Moreno. I am a Spanish teacher, middle school and upper school at Lakewich Academy. And my involvement with the community uh, is through, through the arts, Mexican folkloric dance. Thank you, Elena. Hi, Elena. Hi, Alex and Lily. Um, it's great to be here with you all. Um, I'm Veronica Dahlberg, and I'm executive director of Ola, Ohio, also daughter of Mexican and Hungarian immigrants. And my connection to the club isn't as tight and deep as it is with, you know, Alex and Lily, but there is a connection there. And also just through the work that I've done over 25 years with the Mexican immigrant community. Great. In today's conversation, we're focusing on the history of Club Azteca in Cleveland, Ohio. The club was founded in 1932, and in 1951, the club purchased a store in suite in, at 5606 Detroit Avenue to serve as the center of social and cultural activities for Cleveland's Mexicans. Members of this club renovated and decorated the building, and it opened its doors to the public in 1957. Félix Delgado was the club's first president. Bienvenidos a todos a este episodio. I'd like to hear about your personal connection to Club Azteca. Um, Elena, well, our connection with the Club Azteca began with our parents. Uh, my mom, Amalia, uh, she crossed the border in 1959 with two young children and, and a baby. Uh, she was homeless. She uh, ended up staying uh, on the steps of the Fulton Bridge Library. Uh, eventually, she found work and she got an apartment very close to the library over on Fulton. And she began to explore the neighborhood over in the Ohio City area, the Detroit Shoreway area, all in the near west side. And she found the Club Azteca, uh, and she found a dance group led at the time by uh, La Señora Rocha, and she found a place that she that was very much like home. Uh, eventually, she met my dad. My dad is Jorge Corona. He went to Toledo. He moved to Toledo in 1956 from Mexico. He joined the army. He got out in 62, came to Cleveland, and uh, he also learned of the Club Azteca. He started to go there on occasion. And well, that's where my parents met. And that's where my story begins. And as well as my brother, Alex, and my sister, Jasmine, who currently lives in Chicago. But they met there at a Mexican Independence Day dance in 1963. And well, the rest is history. They, they worked very closely with the Club Azteca in so many aspects and so many different positions. So that's, that's where our story begins. And that's my connection to the Club Azteca. Great. Alex? Um, again, just to add to that, um, we pretty much share the same history, me and my sisters. Um, you know, I just remember events at the Club Azteca, always going there as a kid, uh, wreaking havoc in the building, running around the yard and in the, in the inside. Um, I remember they used to have cookouts 
the Club Astega has a very large yard in the back. At least it seems large to me because I was little back then. Um, <laughs> and they used to have these major cookouts and dinners with, you know, tamales and good food and everything. Um, so I just remember events like that. I remember, um, you know, getting toys at Christmas there. You know, the families used to come up with members and they used to pass out, uh, you know, gifts. So we're always excited about that. Um, another memory I have was uh, of my mom in the dance group. You know, she was she became director of that dance group eventually. And my sister Lily joined the dance group and she eventually took over as director. Um, so I remember going there every week for dance practice. Uh, they made me dance on occasion. <laughs> so I, I have a couple performances under my belt. Uh, nothing really, uh, you know, to, to brag about. But uh, I just remember always being around the club and always uh, having that be part of our family. Yeah, we have silent movies of, of some of the events. Um, when I was a little girl, they, they had a, a Christmas party and I was too shy to hit the piñata and I was hiding behind my mom. So there's quite a bit of history with all the different family events that took place here at the Azteca. Great. How about you, Veronica? Well, my history or connection with it probably started in the early 90s, which is when I really started to work with the Mexican-American community. And I remember being fascinated by the building, by the, and we didn't, Ola didn't exist at the time. And I don't think there really was an organization that I could think of. And I was trying to find help for the migrant farm workers that were coming into Painesville at that time. Um, at the time when I first started, there were only about 13 Hispanics in the Painesville City Schools. Now it's 50% of the school system, so it grew so fast. But at that time, there was so much tension. And I was just looking for advocates, people to connect with. And I learned about Club Azteca, and I remember going there a couple of times, even for a couple of meetings. And I met Jorge, I met uh, Daniel Cardenas and some others. In the later years, probably the last time that I went there was also in the later 90s, when and it could have been the 2000s too, I don't remember, but when there were a couple of dances there and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I've always been fascinated with the history. My own mom came to Cleveland, although when she arrived in 1962, I believe it was 61 or 62, she had my older brother with her and he was born in Mexico. And she went to the Buckeye neighborhood in Cleveland on the east side and um, I have a bunch of letters from her where she's writing about how lonely she is. She needs money. She's writing to my dad. Um, and as I said at the press conference we did at the Club Azteca, and I don't even know if my mom knew about it or went there, um, but she was the type of person that the Club Azteca was formed to help. Um, Mexican immigrants to the city that didn't know their way around. My mom didn't speak the language. She mm -hmm. didn't drive. And so, um, so yeah, my, my connection to the club is more um, about now just wanting to really lift up these stories in our Mexican presence and history, uh, which goes way back and which I believe um, Club Azteca building encapsulates that history and kind of represents right. it. Mm -hmm. So when I heard it was being demolished, um, it just kind of, you know, it was kind of like a punch, a gut punch a little bit. Right. Uh, what are the, uh, you've uh, already shared your personal connections to it, but I'm sure that especially as we have, are having this conversation about the Club Azteca and what it means to the community, what other stories uh, are connected to this club? Um, 
and I know that the dance group is one. And Alex, you mentioned earlier to um, your um, son being um, having a, a the baptism reception was there. So what what other uh, stories uh, can you share about you know this the meaning of this cl uh, club for the community? Well, I know the um, if I could jump in. <laughs> Um, and my dad always speaks about the founders. Um, he admired their vision um, and their dedication um, and what the club stood for, you know. Um, that's what kept him going. And he always would tell stories about them and how proud he was of them and what it meant to the community back then and how much we need that, you know, today. Um, you know, they gave over, my parents gave over 35 years of service to the club. Um, My dad at one time became president. He uh, uh, became treasurer of the club and both my mom and dad eventually became honorary members. So mm -hmm. it's that vision of the founding members that uh, the story that keeps coming up um, right. and what kept him involved um, in his office. He always had a picture of the original members on a stage mm -hmm. at some uh, events. You remember that, Lily? Yeah, I want to say it was the maybe the 50th year okay. uh, anniversary. Okay. I remember it was a huge celebration. And, and, and yeah, I, I know exactly yeah, they were the picture sitting that you're talking about. Someone... With the big Aztec sun in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my dad had that in his office, you know. Yeah. That's the story he would always tell us, you know, mm -hmm. uh, about the founding members. I think um, if I can also add to what Alex is saying, I know that whenever I talked to your dad, he did talk about he the mission, you know, that it was about helping the immigrant community, Mexican immigrants, and preserving the culture. And having done a lot of research since all this came up, um, I kept coming across Lily's photo and her parents' <laughs> photos, doing a lot of things. Lily as a child in the um, traditional folkloric dress dances and then also like your dad meeting with other um, african-american leaders you know talking about civil rights so mm -hmm. that was really um he was really fulfilling the mission you know and that was evident from all of the newspaper articles that i came across and um when when i think about the founders and what i was able to read you know when they they started meeting actually in the late 20s and even though they had just arrived in their early 20s they were already starting to meet and As you mentioned, you know, they, they founded the organization in 1932, and that was at the peak of an anti-Mexican backlash in the country, mm -hmm. what they call the repatriation movement. Because right. of the Depression, they believed that Mexicans were stealing jobs. And so I believe like three million, I don't know what the number is, but many hundreds of thousands of even U.S. citizens of Mexican descent were deported in those years. So mm -hmm. I'd like to imagine that the founders came together as a form of protection to protect mm -hmm. the immigrants, that they knew that that needed to be done. And, you know, they were meeting in the basement of the Club Azteca, which at the time was a hardware store, and they got permission to meet in the basement. And like you said, they they held a lot of dances around um, the city because they didn't hold the dances at the club because they didn't own it yet. It was still a store, mm -hmm. but um, they held these dances and this is the way that they raised money to eventually buy the building. And um, if I could just tell one of the stories that I came across that was really moving to me was um, 
that in 1945, they held a big event at the Swiss Hall in Cleveland that was attended by a thousand people. And a lot of the city people and dignitaries, um, diplomats such as the Mexican consul who had an office in Cleveland at the time, that's how important this community was. And the Mexican community had uh, many businesses at that time. They had little grocery stores. They had um, even a Mexican gift shop that I think Daniel Carter than us actually owned. And he once gave me a pair of uh, bookends that I'm guessing was from the stock of his store that he once had. But uh, in any case, um, barbershops and so on. So these thousand people attended this dance in September 17th of 1945. They were celebrating Mexican Independence Day. One of the founders' uh, son had been killed in World War II the year before. And um, his name is Robert Becerra. And um, he had gone to the war from Cleveland when he was only 17 years old. He was killed when he was 18. And a lot of World War II veterans, um, especially Mexican-American ones, were totally discriminated against when they came back home. And even though they represented disproportionately, and so they started the GI Forum because they couldn't even be buried with the same honors. And so at that event at the Club Azteca in 1945, it was quoted in the paper as one of the leaders saying, and to all of our sons who so gallantly fought and died at world, you know, um, to protect our freedoms, you will always have a place next to the heroes of the Mexican Revolution. And I think that comment was a reference to what was going on with the Mexican-American veterans who were coming home and the deep racism and discrimination against them. So the club played an important role in being a safe space, even at that time for um, the Mexican immigrant community. Right. Um, it is well documented that there is a large and visible Puerto Rican heritage in Cleveland, yet, as you mentioned, um, Veronica, and then, you know, digging deeper into um, the history of the Latinx community in this area, Mexican-Americans were also part or have been also part of this migration wave to the northeast of Ohio since the 1920s. So, you know, a hundred, almost over a hundred years, right? Um so Club Azteca, like you mentioned, represents that history, and it provided a place for social gathering and cultural connections. Uh, we are now in 2021, and the club might be demolished. Um, tell me about the situation. And I mean, we already, just from the stories that we're hearing right now, we already know the impact and the message that it, it sends to us, right, as, as Mexicans here in Ohio. Uh, but even more so to those that, um, you know, that are still there and, and that have that deep personal connection to, to this place. Um, you know, we were totally in the dark about how it got to this point, I think. Um, we found out about the demolition in an article, I believe it was a Facebook post. Um, we don't know what sort of dealings happened. It was all closed doors. Um, so, you know, honestly, the building was never meant to be owned by any one person or, you know, to be sold for any financial gain or, or, or given away. Um, it was always meant to belong to the Mexican community. And that's what's so sad about it, you know, the historical significance and, and what the club once, you know, stood for, 
you know, that's, that's what's so sad about this building going down. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just shocking to me that it looks like there were some kind of dealings going on off the grid with the most recent caretaker. Um, and like Alex said, um, does not really represent the mission and purpose. And um, so nobody still to this day, we don't know. Um, however, we do know that the building is currently owned by the Cuyahoga County Land Bank. However, they already have a contract with a developer. And so um, what we had been asking is to put the brakes on the demolition. They were about to get the permit issued to, de to demolish it just so that we can get a minute to say, hey, wait a second, you know, once this building is gone, it's gone. There's no other representation of that hundred years of Mexican history in Cleveland. So if you're talking about building preservation, why not this one? Why was this one deemed unworthy of pres preservation? When you see the European narrative gets elevated about, you know, the different and I'm half, you know, half Hungarian, so I get it. But it seems like that narrative, um, you know, overshadows our narrative of the Mexican contributions. And so, um, you know, like Alex said, I think a lot of people believe now that it's uh, owned by the county that they really need to take a look at um, the decisions that they've made about allowing it to be destroyed. Uh, it, it's really a terrible, terrible mistake on their part because you see all these buildings preserved in history. Just go online and look at all the buildings that are saved. And some of them were probably caving in. Some of them probably had back taxes, but I'm sure they had issues. But that's why we have these preservation societies. They, they need to be able to recognize, identify what is of value. And the fact that they did not think this was a value speaks to me about, you know, the erasure of our community. If I could just throw this story in, you know, as you mentioned, Elena, when they went in in 1957, um, they were probably in there a little bit earlier too, but in the 1950s was the Operation Wetback, the federal program that led to massive sweeps all over the country that destroyed Mexican families and neighborhoods. And really, Cleveland, um, which I wrote it in the letter, one of the letters that we submitted was at its high point at that time with so many businesses and so much going on. And the immigration agent is quoted in the Plain Dealer in the 1950s as saying, we hit the jackpot with Operation Wetback. We went to every place where these aliens could be working or living. So you can imagine what those raids must have felt like as they were probably visiting those same Mexican grocery stores and the same houses um, where the Mexican immigrants lived. And, you know, so it's a, it's a story that I think just repeats itself over and over again from the 30s to the, you know, the repatriation of the 30s to the Operation Wetback of the 50s. I mean, that program even has a slur in its name. And then um, now the demolition of the building, it's like, a, it feels like an erasure. Lily, do you want to add anything to it? No, I think they both uh, pretty much said um, 
what they said was very important. I just think it's it's very sad that we've come to this point, um, that the building has come to this point, that it's it was um, it was ignored, it, it wasn't able to be kept up, and now the city is looking to demolish it. So yeah. it's very sad because our history is will be torn down as well. If right. that building goes and, down. and then this area already has been dealing with a lot of gentrification, right? And um, the yes. community, you know, that there is a large uh, minor minority presence there, right? Latino, Latinx community, also African American community, and so this is another blow, right, to to the community that right. has tried to remain. Um, or um, you know the different initiatives that exist with um, with uh, development um, to try to maintain some sort of Latinx presence in this area, and by demolishing this you know building is just another blow to um, to a community that's trying to continue to be to exist and to be visible in this area. So how has the building been used lately? Um, I know that it has, like you mentioned, it faced uh, some financial troubles. Um, tell me, tell me what, what do you know about this, how the building has been used lately? Um, personally, I can't speak um, to its most recent financial difficulties. You would have to speak to the current membership about that. Um, I did mention earlier that my dad was treasurer um, at what point, I believe in the um, mid-90s or something like that. Um, he, he decided to leave because he didn't feel that it was being managed as it should be. And in his final years, I mean, there's no secret, it was, you know, a bar pretty much um, that sort of lost connection to so his culture and, you know, and its community. So as treasurer, when my dad left he, um, financially, he left it really sound, really you know, in, in, in good shape. And that's the extent to um, to the, what we're aware of as far as the financial situation. What happened after that, again, you have to speak to, to the um, current club membership. Um, you know, we're strictly here to save the building, um, the history that comes along with it, and to start a new group, you know, completely new and uh, unaffiliated to the current membership. Um, the building is said to be demolished, you know? So that tells us the current membership washed our hands, you know, of, of the building and the situation. And we're looking to pick up the ball and pretty much run, run with it, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's a very important point to get across because many people have been asking, where's the current membership? How did it get in such financial ru ruin? And, and quite honestly, we don't, we have no idea. Right. Yeah, we would like to get back to the original vision and move forward with that, the original exactly. vision of the, of the founding members mm -hmm. and, and roll with that and uh, uh, see how we can impact the community and have a safe place for, for the Mexican, Mexican-American community. What, um, I know that Cleveland right now has several organizations backing Club Azteca as a historical landmark for the Latinx and Mexican-American community. Um, and, you know, we've mentioned, you know, the historical societies, what, what else can be done to preserve and to, you know, to not only put a, put the brakes on, you know, the plans to demolish the building, but really um, in that time or that time that's allowed to us to, to get together and have a plan 
Uh, what else or who else needs to know about this? Who else can be um, part of the solution of keeping this building and, you know, and then renovating? And, and, and like Lily and Alex said, uh, go back to that mission and vision that the founding members had. I really think it's going to take the participation of um, the city officials, city council specifically. They're going to have to, you know, it really would take for them to get behind saving the building. And because I think the city landmarks commission, which is due to meet on March 25th, they can rule to issue the demolition permit at that time. And then there's nothing anybody could do. But if the people who can influence that decision most strongly are the city council members. So really that's where I believe um, our advocacy has to be. So, um, you know, and there's very little time and there's a lot at stake, you know, because the developers I'm sure have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into this, but you know, that's not our fault um, that the city, you know, that it got to this point. And um, regardless of like Alex and Lily said, my own, you know, probably last interaction with Club Azteca was also in the nineties and it did start to kind of go into decline. Um, but again, you know, it's very hard for Latino-led organizations to get support. As you know, less than 1% of philanthropic dollars go to Latino-led organizations. So it's a combination of factors. You know, the, the brutal policies that um, detain and deport immigrants that keep everybody in fear, the, the scorn that has been aimed at Mexican immigrants for so long, it seems like it's a popular punching bag every election cycle um, going way back. So there's so many different factors at play, but here we are now with this building is still standing. And if you look at it, it looks really special, you know, built in 1900, 121 years old. And the memories that Alex and Lily share that they were literally kids in there running around, they had their family events there. Um, there's so many stories yet to be told, but once it's demolished, you know, then it's too late to do anything. So now that we're aware of this, we are trying to formulate a plan. Um, and it doesn't have to include the actual entity on paper, um, it's right now it's about saving this building from being demolished. And then also, you know, um, being in that area, I think would balance out all that gentrification going on. I mean, that's, that's Cleveland history. It's just, it's not just Mexican history. It's uh, it's something to be proud of. Um, and I know that area, you know, if we stay in that area, you know, we would have so many good allies, hopefully, in that area. Just um, uh, Raymond from the Cleveland Public Theater was at our press conference, and he expressed interest in helping out. You know, the LGBT uh, Community Center is there, and that's an organization we definitely, you know, want our um, want to be allied with. You know, and of course, other Latino organizations, uh, Latinx organizations, and communities. Uh, you know, keep on networking with them. I mean, there's such strength in, in numbers, you know, and, um, and, and that's, that's what we need right now. Right. And I think it's what brings character to Alex's point. That's what brings character to a community is, you know, you don't want to just have all of these brand new buildings that might look real great right now, but in 30 years when they're falling apart, we'll say, oh my gosh, why did we demolish the Club Azteca? 
we thought this was such a great design. You know, like when we look at a building that was built in the 80s, that maybe at the time seems so great. <laughs> um, but, you know, <laughs> it's about, that. you know, it brings character. And like Alex said, it's what makes Cleveland Cleveland. That's its its immigrant history. Right, right. And, and, and it not only could uh, possibly, uh, you know, I, 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 I am very hopeful that, that there'll be uh, a good um, outcome of this. But um, there's so many, like you said, I like the line that there's so many more stories to tell, right? Um, and for a community, you know, that continues to look for that um, presence or that connection, uh, this is one way to do it, and it's already there, right? So let's let's um, let's rebuild it, you know, let's uh, reclaim it, and um, for 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 ourselves, for our children, and um, for the future generation. And and I agree. Um, do do we really need um, more? Uh, new buildings uh what can can't there be a mix and and just to honor that memory and to honor that presence of um you know that that historical site uh that like you said i mean i, I didn't know it was built in 1900 so 120 i mean that's a big deal right mm-hmm. um and then not only that but um who has uh, been part of that for for all of this time right um it's that's important that's an important story to tell well, thank you for allowing us to tell it, Elena. Great. Um, is there anything else you want to add to um, to this conversation? Oh, I just hope that you know more younger people get involved. Um, there is so much to offer, and you know our culture has so much to offer. You know, it has culture, arts, music. I mean, there's there's so much to offer, and it could be such a good contribution to that whole community as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll bring a little variety and, uh, you know, to, to the neighborhood and um, and preserve uh, the beauty of it that I think is beautiful. Uh, you know, um, right. what's more beautiful than culture and diversity, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just hope more people get involved and, uh, and we learn from our mistakes uh, of the past and just, just move forward. Leave the past mm-hmm. in the past and just look ahead and do it the right way. Right, right. Yeah, and um, also besides preserving our our history, and there's like ours, there's I'm sure so many more stories that that can be told of of families getting together and uh, people coming there because they they're, they feel safe, uh, they want a place for connection with their culture. It's just not in the past. I would love to see that for my children, for my grandchildren, for the for the youth uh, that are coming up now, that they have a place where they can explore their own culture and, and contribute to the community in so many ways. So I, I would really love for that building to be saved. Um, let's hope for the best. And I know there is a lot of uh, people, a lot of organizations that are backing up the the desire for the building to to stay as is, and and hopefully it can be fixed be fixed up, and uh, we can move forward, and hopefully we'll have a place that we can call home as a Mexican community. 
I think for me, um, just the sense of pride I felt reading about the history and trying to imagine um, all the barriers that they must have confronted to get to where they were, um, to finally be able to purchase it. There was a story about how hundreds of railroad workers from all over Ohio came to an event at the Club Azteca to support it and donated $700 for the purchase of the building. So the Club Azteca wasn't just a hub in Cleveland, but it was known all Mm -hmm. over um, the state of Ohio for any of the immigrant workers. So I think, you know, just a sense of pride. A lot of people don't know how the Mexican community has continuously fought against Um, the discrimination and racism that has confronted them decade after decade after decade. Um, You don't hear those stories so much. And um, this whole cause reminded me of a story about Chavez Ravine. I don't know if you've heard about that in East LA, but this was a property that was home to many Mexican-American families. Um, And in the 1950s, the city of Los Angeles wanted to take it over through eminent domain to put Dodger Stadium there mm-hmm. and just how those Mexican-American families fought. In fact, there's an iconic picture of a woman. Her name is Aurora Vargas. She's literally being carried out. A sheriff's deputy has an, each one of her arms and legs and they're carrying her down the stairs of her home. She fought to the very end and those stories are not told. And um, And I feel like the founders of the Club Azteca were, were like those fighters and advocates and so we have to honor that we have to do the same we have to do the same right Mm -hmm. absolutely well uh thank you so much for this conversation thank you thank you elena thank you very much thank you a todos gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros hasta la próxima 